This is Father Robert Barron. Friends, I invite you to reflect with me on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization. We utilize media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. Through our efforts, we hope to take the gospel out into the peripheries of the culture, where the transformative power of God's Word is most needed. Let us open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each one of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, in the 17th and 18th centuries, a serious attempt was made to reduce Christianity to something that the mind could fully grasp. That meant at one level a sort of deism, typical of a lot of our founding fathers, the view that God is a kind of a distant first cause and not the vibrant, active, puzzling, and surprising God of the Bible. At the practical level, it meant the transformation of Christianity ultimately into a kind of moral system. Now, for a good example of the former, take a look at John Locke's book, The Reasonableness of Christianity. It's a classic of kind of a deist presentation of Christianity. For good examples of the latter, take a look at Immanuel Kant's Religion Within the Limits of Reason Alone. In that book, Kant lays out the view that Christianity basically boils down to ethical imperatives and recommendations. Finally, religion is about being a good person. Or look at Thomas Jefferson's edition of the New Testament. I think I've spoken to you before about that, where Jefferson literally takes a scissors to all of the supernatural elements in the gospel and presents Jesus as a compelling ethical teacher. Well, this tradition that dates back to the 17th centuries had long legs. In fact, it endures to the present day. In fact, practically every Christmas and Easter, the mainstream media will feature a new version of it. The names like Bart Ehrman, John Shelby Spong, John Dominic Crossan, James Carroll, Roger Haight sound all familiar. Usually, year after year, their views are brought forward, often at the, at the key moments of the Christian year, to present another form of this um, kind of rationalist vision of Christianity. However, as critics have been pointing out for the past 300 years, this reading of Christianity has a rather serious problem. Namely, it flies in the face of a plain reading of the New Testament. It presents a Christianity which is certainly easier to believe, but one that's maybe not worth believing. One that turns the gospel into a faint echo of the renient culture. Now, the reason I bring this up is our second reading, which is taken from Paul to the Corinthians, is a breathtaking reading. And I invite you to move into the psychological and spiritual space of that reading. And I would suggest that anyone tempted to embrace a sort of rationalist reduction of Christianity is not going to handle this reading. Mind you, too, this is first letter to the Corinthians, a text dating from maybe the mid-50s, late-50s of the first century, 
earlier than any of the gospel texts, one of the earliest texts we have from a Christian writer. Listen now as Paul exhorts the people of Corinth. I tell you, brothers and sisters, the time is running out. From now on, let those having wives act as not having them. Those weeping as not weeping. Those rejoicing as not rejoicing. Those buying as not owning. Those using the world as not using it. For the world in its present form is passing away. Wow. Could anyone hear that passage and think for a second that Paul is trading in bland spiritual bromides and moral recommendations? Paul, in fact, has witnessed something that is so shocking, that's so new, that's so overwhelming, flabbergasting, and strange that he's convinced the world as we know it is passing away. He's seen something that's so confounding and so exhilarating that all the things that we take to be important, and again, go over his list here, marriage, family, personal feelings, material goods, they're all things that we should let go of, not worry about anymore. What in the world would move him to this spiritual space? It can be stated very simply. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul saw the risen Christ. And therefore, everything he had held worthwhile, he now considered so much rubbish. That's a quote from another one of his letters. Here's the thing, everybody. It's, it's a gross prejudice of the modern age that ancient people were naive and gullible about life and death. That the claim of resurrection would not have struck them as so strange. Well, that's just so much nonsense. Take a look, for example, at the reaction on the Areopagus or in the typical synagogue when Paul shared the message of resurrection. Remember that great scene I've talked about before when Paul is in the heart of Athens, on the Areopagus, surrounded by the intelligentsia of the city, and he lays out the Christian thing. And they listen for a while, but when he talks about resurrection, most of them laugh and walk away. Or when he goes into a a Jewish synagogue and he tells the story of Jesus, when he gets to the resurrection, that's when people pick up stones and cast him out. Don't think for a second that ancient people were naive and gullible about it. No, they found that message as weird and strange and surprising as we do. And look at this very passage. The bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead was so unexpected, it was so unheard of, that it prompted a reasonable man like Paul, and Paul was educated in the Jewish system and the Greek system, he was educated in the, in the highest circles of his time. But it led someone like Paul to say that the world as we know it is passing away. And that what? A whole new order of things has begun. Now, what's the new world? Well, the world as we know it is dominated by death and the fear of death. 
Time as we know it is marked by the inevitable progress toward death. Much of our politics and art are conditioned by death, the fact of death, the fear of death. But what if death is not what God wanted? What if Christ, risen from the dead, has appeared as the first fruits of an entirely new world? Or to use the language of the first letter of Peter, of a new heavens and a new earth. What if, therefore, all the things that we consider absolute and final really aren't so absolute and final after all? What if death does not have the last word? Then, I would suggest, following Paul, everything changes. Everything changes. I can let go of the things that are so obsessively important to me now, and I can appreciate them for what they truly are. Not clinging to them as though they alone give my life meaning. But now, as Chesterton said, the minute I was convinced the world is not meant to make me perfectly happy, it began to make me truly happy. That's what Paul's sensing here. That's the new world breaking through. Spiritual bromides, bland ethical recommendations, well, heck, you can get those anywhere from any dime store philosopher. What Christianity offers is a new world. Now, with Paul in mind, let's revisit the inaugural address of Jesus, which is the gospel for today. I say inaugural address because it's the first words out of his mouth in the first gospel, in Mark's gospel. As he begins to preach in the hills of Galilee, Jesus says, This is the time of fulfillment. See, how like Paul's time is running out. You see, time in the old world is running out. The new time is beginning. The kairos, the time of fulfillment. He goes on. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, oceans of ink have been spilled trying to describe what kingdom of God means. He means so much more than simply a new ethical or political arrangement. He means so much more than a new attitude or frame of mind. What he means is the breakthrough of a new world. God's new order which is predicated upon Jesus himself and ultimately his resurrection from the dead. Now, the behavioral implication is clear. Listen to his next words. Repent and believe the gospel. The word behind repent there is metanoiete. Repent has a very kind of moralistic overtone. Change your moral behavior. And, and we'll get there. I mean, there is, a, there is change in moral behavior involved. But that's not the primary meaning of the word. Metanous. Go beyond the mind that you have. That's what he's saying. See, that the time of fulfillment is here. The kingdom of God is breaking through. A new world's coming. A world no longer dominated by death and the fear of death. Therefore, it's time for a new mind. A new way of seeing, a new way of thinking, a new way of imagining. 
not caught in the structures of the old world. What's the mark of it? Believe in the gospel, Jesus says. Euangelion, right? Gospel, glad tidings. What's the euangelion? And you see it from the first line of Mark's gospel. The euangelion ultimately is the glad tidings that Jesus has risen from the dead. So repent, change your mind, change your way of thinking, and believe in the new world inaugurated by the resurrection. Imagine a new world. Peter, Andrew, James, John. So we hear in this gospel the call of the first disciples. They are the first followers of this new vision. They're, if you want, the first inhabitants of this new world. They'd be followed by Paul and then by every baptized person down the ages. Every one of us grafted onto Jesus Christ. Remember Paul says, may the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. All of us grafted onto Christ and now seeing with his eyes, thinking with his mind, living in the world that he's inaugurated and opened up. See, that's what Christianity is about, everybody. To reduce it to something bland. It's about being a nice person. It's about undergoing a moral conversion. I mean, fine. I have nothing against nice people. Nothing against moral conversion. But the real message of Christianity is a revolution. It's about the breakthrough of a new world, prompted by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that message still has, to this day, explosive power. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. I hope that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until we meet again next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Friends, I'd like to invite you to visit my free YouTube channel and join over 40,000 subscribers. Each week I post video commentaries on topics ranging from Catholic teaching to world news to pop culture. Subscribe free and you'll receive my newest videos straight to your inbox. Just visit youtube.com slash wordonfirevideo.